This is the Value Investor Podcast with Tracy Reinick. All things value, all the time. Welcome back, value investors. So it's time to look at energy stocks again. I'm still reading the book, The Joys of Compounding, and it has an interesting chapter in it called Investing in Commodity and Cyclical Stocks is All About the Capital Cycle. So perfect timing to have a whole chapter on what to do to invest in commodity and cyclical stocks. So I took some tidbits out of the chapter because I think they do apply to what's going on right now and our situation, or if you're thinking about energy stocks or any commodities, whether or not it's the lithium, the copper, fertilizers, gold, whatever it is, these same kind of uh, little tidbits or lessons, tips, I guess they are, could help you with any of those, not just energy. So the first one he talks about is, uh, he says, a commodity upcycle lifts all players in the industry. This is an important thing to remember, and we do see it happening in, in energy uh, over the last two to three years now. Since the pandemic uh, lows were put in in 2020, the entire uh Industry has been moving pretty much in lockstep together. And it doesn't matter if it's a small little oil driller or one of the big integrateds, they've all been doing things at the same time. So keep that in mind because that does, um, you know, make it a little easier to invest really, because all you have to do is buy something within that commodity. And you should see the same results as what is going on with all the others. Um, number two, most of the time, sector leaders move up first, and then they become expensive. Then attention turns to the secondary players until those become expensive. And then you might be at the end of the cycle, basically, although he didn't he didn't add that little tidbit on at the end. Um, but this is definitely true. So, People will go in uh, at the beginning of a commodity cycle with the, the big or prominent names. We all know what they are in energy. People will buy like big oil out the gate, the Exxons, the Chevrons. They may buy some of the big producers. Um, those are the like well-known names. So we've had a lot of the sector leaders move up, but that was mostly in 2020 like late 2020 and 2021, the big names did lead the sector. We have seen the secondary players move up as well because going to tidbit number one, a commodity upcycle lifts all players in the industry. So we're already at the stage where all the players are moving up, but given how poorly they performed the first half of this year, nothing is real expensive here still in the energy industry. So um, it's something to keep in mind about the sector's leader leaders moving up first, but, but mostly we've already kind of passed this tidbit. Okay, number three, don't look at PE, but look at like EBITDA and debt. So he talks about how debt is one of the most important factors to look at. He says the companies will use favorable business conditions to refinance their debt at more favorable terms, and that will give a material boost to earnings. What they'll also do is take excess free cash flows like the energy companies are doing right now. They'll buy back shares with it, and that 
also boost the earnings quite considerably, especially if it's a smaller cap uh, energy company. There's one, uh, Magnolia Oil and Gas, which I own in the value investor portfolio. I also own it in my own portfolio. And that company is buying, I think, 10% of the shares is its goal. And so when you do that and the cash flows stay elevated, eventually, you know, the earnings are going to rise and you're going to start probably increasing dividends to give back some of the cash further that way. So we are seeing this. We are seeing debt paid down by a lot of the energy companies, especially last year with the massive free cash flows they had. These energy companies have been around a while and many of them know to take advantage of certain situations like they did last year. So not only were they giving out a lot of dividends and doing share buybacks, but they were paying off the debt. And uh, those that was favorable business conditions last year. So, but keep an eye on the debt on the balance sheet because many of them, they've all still got it. It's a heavily debt intensive industry. Obviously, if you have rigs out there, uh, you gotta you know pay for the rig and the maintenance of the rig and all this other stuff. So there's is a lot of debt out there. Um, but some have better balance sheets than others. Even after last year, the the rich got richer, basically. And so that's what he's encouraging you to do. So look for those that don't necessarily look at the PE, but look for those where the debt uh, you know, is lower and they have basically pristine balance sheets. Okay, number four, in, in a commodities upcycle, the integrated players with captive power or raw material linkages are biggest beneficiaries. So basically, I took this to mean as, you know, the big, the big will succeed. They have the advantages and they use them in an upcycle. They use their size to their advantage. So something to keep in mind while we work through this energy cycle. Number five is to basically watch out for government intervention. We've already seen this. Uh, we've already seen taxes on profits over in Europe. They already are tax, taxing energy profits. Um, there's been sanctions on Russian production. So that's a form of government intervention just from other governments or from you know uh, outsiders. So these things can impact the businesses, obviously, in any commodities, you should be aware. And But anybody investing in the commodities knows. Another thing I would throw in there in this category is watch out for like weather issues, whether or not in energy, it's hurricanes disrupting production. Um, you could have earthquakes. You could have fires. It could be a whole host of things. So uh, that can impact businesses. So, but watch out, especially for government in intervention, because that can go straight to earnings for sure. Number six, when many companies start announcing capacity expansions, it's a good signal to evaluate your thesis or maybe to just exit the trade altogether. So this I've been warning about for quite some time when I talk about the energy and the bull uh, cycle in it is in the beginning, they are all pretty disciplined, which is what we're seeing right now because we are at the beginning of this cycle. But 
as it goes along, they basically can't help themselves, but this is true in any commodity. As the price of the commodity soars, the company is like, hey, if we only produced more of this thing, we'll make even more money. So then they start uh, you know, basically producing too much at some point later on in the cycle. So in the 1998 to 2008 cycle, this capacity expansion started to happen by, say, 2005, 2006. The price of oil didn't peak until 2007, but um, you will see it happening before the actual peak. But it is a sign that you might want to start evaluating uh, where you're headed in that trade. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, hey, crude peaked last year during the Ukraine spike, you know, well above like around $130 a barrel. It's come way down. So that was it. That was the end. And that was the expansion. And now it's going to be down again. Um, but we didn't really see that much actual production capacity expansion last year. If anything, just kind of held steady. The oil companies themselves said we're not expanding. So uh, we are seeing record drilling in the United States this year. Well, not record drilling. That's down, actually. Record production because production has gotten more efficient. And so it's about 12.6 million barrels a day, which is a U.S. or near a U.S. record. So you could say, hey, aren't they expanding capacity? But they aren't doing it in, in a big way right now. It still is uh, fairly tight by U.S. producers. Okay, number seven, commodity stocks are not long-term investments. The good time to get out is when um, you know they aren't being profitable anymore. And then you sell to the latecomers who are coming in. Now, this would be later on in the cycle. Um, as I as I think, we're still in the early stages. So uh, you know, it's not it has not been a bad hold the last couple of years. But as I've recounted on this podcast, don't get stuck late in the cycle like I was in the last cycle, still holding. So I unfortunately did hold through the entire bear market, which was you know well over a decade. Don't get stuck like that. So they are not long-term. And I don't expect to see um, Warren Buffett holding it long-term, Occidental or Chevron. He's already sold some of the Chevron and then he bought some more. And now I guess he sold again in the second quarter, but not a big chunk. He has continued to buy Occidental, but he will ride it. So in the, the last cycle, he did buy, remember, PetroChina for about $400 million early in the 2000s. So 2001, 2002. He did sell it in 2007, 2008, uh, and it was worth about $4 billion by that point. So he did play the cycle, and he took his uh, winnings and got out of there. So keep that in mind. That's a very important rule. They're not long-term investments. But what does that mean? He still owned them five or six years. So that might be long-term to some people, right? But uh, you do have to let the cycle run, but they're not meant to be buy and hold and, and hold forever. They're just not. Okay. Number eight, when only a single firm in an entire industry is profitable, that may be near the bottom of a cycle. 
So that's an important thing to remember too. We've been mainly talking about how to deal with the bull cycle, but if you're if you know you're looking at a commodity and no one in that commodity is making any money, like they've shut production, they've shuttered their plants, you know, they're not mining in certain mines because it doesn't make any financial sense for them to do so then you know that's a sign that you're getting near the bottom of a cycle. So that's something good to look for. And then he talks about intuition. And he says, basically, this is the, the murky part, it'll just feel right. You'll have an intuition that this particular commodity is about to take off or go into some kind of upward cycle. And he cites Charlie Munger, who has said, and I'm going to quote Munger here, Experience tends to confirm a long-held notion that being prepared on a few occasions in a lifetime to act promptly in scale in doing some simple and logical thing will often dramatically improve the financial results of that lifetime. A few major opportunities, clearly recognizable as such, will usually come to one who continuously searches and waits. With a curious mind, loving diagnosis involving multiple variables. And then all that is required is a willingness to bet heavily when the odds are extremely favorable, using resources available as a result of prudence and patience in the past. That's not so easy, right? You sit on the sidelines, you're waiting, you're being patient, you are have prudence, and then you get some kind of belief that it's things are favorable it's going to rally you're in a new different cycle and you make a big bet that's basically what he's saying <laughs> easier said than done but good advice nevertheless so with these tips in mind let's move back into oil we have oil moving higher again it's retaken 80 dollars for the wti the CEO of Pioneer Natural Resources, Scott Sheffield, who is kind of like the Jamie Diamond of the energy industry. <laughs> he's like the Pied Piper guy. He's very experienced. He's been in the industry for many decades. Um, he leads one of the premier companies in the industry. So he's like Jamie. He believes that WTI will be at $100 by the end of the year. He has no magic ball. He just has his own experience and what's going on out there in the market. Analysts are forecasting about 9,200 based on low inventories uh, globally and still bullish demand, even with a slow China, still is seeing demand rise. Now, it does help for currently that the Saudis have voluntarily cut back further on their own production. They cut back over a million barrels a day. Um, very rare for the Saudis to do that, but that seems to have put a floor under the prices now. So where do you invest in energy? We've covered this many times over the last three years as these stocks have been the best performing in the S&P 500, the sector uh, in 2021 and 2022, 2023, they were the worst performers in the first six months. But you know what I say, as a value investor, that created a value opportunity. Shares are still cheap. They have not regained last year's highs. Most aren't even close. So got a ways to go before we even get there. And you know what I think always, if you're new to energy, the producers 
always have the most upside in a bull market. That is the pure plays. They they are not making gasoline. They are not uh, making chemicals. They are just drilling oil and natural gas, getting it out of the ground. And most of them are unhedged now. I can't think of anyone who is hedged. There might be one or two, but most are unhedged. So what does that mean? That means they, they did not make a bet on the price of oil or natural gas. So if it rises, that's good for them. But if it falls, like it has been in the first half of this year, that's bad for them. They'll make less money. So that's why the earnings of energy stocks have come way down, at least on the producing side, because they're mostly unhedged and oil's no longer at 130. It went down to about 65 and now is back at 80. So the earnings have come down. But I always like to own the producers. They do have bigger swings. As I mentioned, they are more volatile. So who are the names in the producers? Well, the, the big players, if we're going by the tips that we just got, um, and to look for big players and ones who have low debt, good balance sheets, the winner there is Pioneer Natural Resources, ticker PXD is the ticker. As I mentioned, I own it in my own personal portfolio and in the value investor. Um, 2022, I looked it up, they repaid 2.5 billion in debt during those good times. They paid out dividends and share repurchases of 6.2 billion. Their debt to equity ratio is just 0.23. They they do have some debt, but it's low for the size. And they have been paying over 75% of the free cash flows back out to the shareholders. And in a couple quarters last year, they're paying out nearly all of the free cash flow to the shareholders. Um, one uh, negative against Pioneer is that some people think that some of their wells are getting a little up there in age. And the analysts are a little concerned that production might not be able to be sustained where it is. But this last quarter, they seem to turn that around a bit. Production did rise and they actually cut CapEx. They're not going to need to spend some extra money to get the bigger production out. That seemed to ease some people's uh, concerns, but that is something to watch. Pioneer, also the biggest player in the Permian, which some are saying is on the, the downward slope now. It's peaked. And it's on, you know, it's not going to happen like, you know, tomorrow, but it is already peaked. Whether or not that's true, we'll, we'll soon see. We'll find out. But that's Pioneer, ticker PXD. Another one that I like a lot is EOG Resources. They only paid $35 million back in debt in 2022, but they did pay out uh, dividends and share repurchases to shareholders of $5.1 billion in 2022, debt to equity ratio as of June 30th, 2023 is even lower than Pioneer's at just 0.14. So I'm liking that as well. EOG also in the Permian and US production. Um, then I wanted to include somebody that is a little bit different. So if you're looking outside the US, which you really should try to do for these concerns that shale has peaked and U.S. production possibly, you know, isn't going to be able to really be beefed up in any way. So where can it be beefed up? Well, there's two places, um, Suriname and Guyana. 
And one of the drillers big in Guyana is Hess, ticker H-E-S-S. They are an integrated, which means they have uh, they do the drilling, natural gas and crude, but they also have refined products in the midstream. Uh, that's a much smaller business, but they do have it. So in addition to Guyana, they're in the Bakken. They're in offshore Gulf of Mexico. They're offshore Southeast Asia, and they have some offshore in Canada, but they, the well there was not producing, so they didn't get anything out of Canada. So mostly big bets on Bakken, Guyana, and offshore Gulf of Mexico. Uh, they raised their full year production guidance after this last quarter, and they paid $99 million in debt in 2022, $975 million in the dividends and share buybacks, and their debt to equity ratio is 0.97. So a little bit higher on Hess, but they've got a lot of expenses and things there. If you're drilling offshore, uh, you know that's a lot tougher there with those platforms and everything. Um, but Guyana, oil is expected, they said, in 2026. Gulf of Mexico, the first oil is expected by mid-2024 next year off of those wells. So, But Guyana is a big, uh, big area, a lot of exploration going on there, and Hess is one of the big players there. So that's Hess, ticker H-E-S-S. Um, then I want to talk about the services. Normally, I would say, oh, producers, they have the most upside. But the services are crushing it at this stage of the cycle because all the energy companies got a lot of cash. Last year, they are using it to increase production. Not a lot, not huge capacity increases, but they are exploring and drilling more. So the ones I like, uh, the first one, SLB, formerly known as Schlumberger, ticker SLB. They consider themselves kind of a tech firm now. That's why they changed their name just to their ticker names, ticker SLB. And they the earnings just look spectacular. This year up 37%. Next year expected to be up another 25%. Debt to equity ratio is just 0.6 on them. Um, they also have a peg of 0.74 because they do have a fairly low PE not, you know, we're not as concerned with the PE because we're trying to go over the tips where it said, don't look at the PE. Um, so <laughs> we're not really going off that too much, but I do like to know that there's some growth there and, you know, what's going on with, with that aspect too. So that doesn't hurt. But Schlumberger, why do I like it so much is because it does have big international exposure. So U.S. has kind of pulled back on its drilling, even though it has the record output it has closed down rigs in the Permian, and especially a lot of the private, uh, not publicly traded oil companies have closed rigs. So the rig count is actually down. So the services side has said that uh, sales have slowed in North America and even South America, but Middle East is soaring right now. The, the Middle East, uh, you know, drilling is going on. And so, um, you want to own one that has a lot of exposure international, SLB does. A second one that also does is Baker Hughes, ticker BKR. I own this one in Zach's Insider Trader. We've owned it for quite some time. The insiders bought in a while ago. They were correct because we've gotten a nice return on it so far, but it still has upward momentum 
and it did also have a real good quarter. Uh, it has a debt to equity ratio of just 0.38, so that's real low. And earnings expected to be up 72% this year and another 31% next year. So um, again, that's some great earnings growth with these service side companies. They will not see as uh, much volatility as the producers. They will still move with the price of crude up and down, but not as dramatically. You won't get the 20% sell-offs as often, although you will get them. Any of us knows uh, we've seen quite a bit of of ups and downs in Baker Hughes. And I also own Halliburton in the value investor. And that's been a, a ride too over the last couple of years. But um, still the services side looking good as businesses, which is what we want to look at as value investors. So there are the big integrateds. I haven't really mentioned them much here. Exxon and Chevron are the two big US integrateds, but there's others. Um, I I like all of the energy companies here, and I do like the tidbit um, that he has, where the number one tidbit, where um, you know, all all rising tide lifts all boats, is the number one tidbit, and he's right. So all those stocks are up too, but the really huge uh, energy companies usually don't have as big a gain. So in the 1998 to to 2008 rally, some of the smaller producers were up a thousand percent in that time period, but Exxon only was up a hundred percent. That's it in that time period. Not it was not a bad return for that decade, given what else was going on with stocks. But you're just not going to get as good a return on those big integrateds. But that's also why they pay the dividend. Some of them are paying, you know, four to six percent yields right now, depending on which one you're talking about. So um, you're getting paid for your patients a little bit differently on some of those. So keep that in mind. But I still do like, you know, in a commodity upcycle, all boats rise. So keep that. And might want to look at the Zach's rank on some of these. Some of them are down to fours and fives right now, actually, which is the sell and the strong sells because those earnings have come way down. And so the analysts have had to cut the earnings, not on the services side, but on the producing side because of the price of oil and natural gas has come down. So um, that's a little quirk of it. You're going to get those sells, but I'm not selling here. I'm looking to buy more if I can. And we are in this mini rally here in August 2023. Will it last in the next couple of months? I don't know. There's always been pullbacks in any of these energy rallies. So look for a pullback. But it's a good time for value investors to keep an eye out on this sector because something's going on. It's been quiet all year, but suddenly it seems to be awakening. So let me recap the stocks we talked about. So there was Pioneer, that's the big player in the Permian, ticker PXD, D as in David, PXD. EOG Resources, also a big player. Um, EOG Hess is the one in Guyana, ticker HES. Slumberger, big on the services side, SLB, and Baker Hughes is BKR, as in Robert, BKR. 
And as always, I'm trying to bring you as many good investing ideas as I can here on the value side. And I'm still reading The Joys of Compounding. Who knows what else I'm going to find in this book? I do recommend it, but I'm going to have a full book review on it when I'm done. It's pretty uh, it's pretty lengthy here. Let me look. It's pretty you know, packed with good info. It's a little bit not quite 400 pages. So it's it's a nice little book. You can't read it in one sitting, but that's okay. That's what we want, right? We want to get good information. So I'll be bringing you some more podcasts with whatever other tidbits I can get out of that book. And there's a lot. So be sure to subscribe. Get us on Apple Podcasts. You can get us on Spotify, Amazon Music. We're also on YouTube on Zach's podcast there. You can get all of our podcasts there, but be sure to get us somewhere and I'll see you again next week with some more value stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.